We begin this morning talking pipeline politics with BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson in studio. Then the panel returns as we continue with the Trans Mountain story with Global BC's Keith Baldry, the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer, and BC Today's Shannon Waters. Accountable to you, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Centre on Radio NL. Good morning and welcome to Inside Politics. It's kind of a grey overcast day here in Kamloops, but a pleasure to be joined with a packed studio this morning. Uh, just in front of me and on my left is the leader of the BC Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson. Welcome. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, just uh, sitting beside him is uh, Kamloops South MLA, Todd Stone. Always great to be here. <laughs> and beside him, Kamloops North MLA, Peter Millibar. And pleasure as always, Shane. All right. Uh, I guess we don't need to really uh, get you guys up to speed in what we're talking about. The big explosive issue this week since that bombshell news announcement from Kinder Morgan on Sunday has been Trans Mountain and nothing but Trans Mountain. Uh, latest development, uh, of course, is this Ottawa meeting. Uh, between the Prime Minister, Rachel Notley, and, and John Horgan. I'm sure you saw John Horgan respond to, you know, reporters' questions, trying to get out of him what exactly he's going to do in that meeting. Uh, he didn't signal to me, Andrew, that there was a whole lot of back down in his comments. So what did you kind of get out of what he had to say, and, and what do you think he should be doing when he heads off to that meeting? Well, I think from our perspective as Liberal MLAs, all three of us, we're starting to think in very clear terms that British Columbia's interests are being damaged by his behaviour. You don't pick fights with the government of Canada when you're a Canadian. And he's picked a fight with the government of Alberta. And the concern is that British Columbians, and particularly people here in the interior where a lot of the Kinder Morgan work would happen, we are now going to suffer the consequences of his arrogance. Uh, they clearly don't have a plan to get themselves out of what they've created in the NDP government. And John Horgan is showing a complete lack of interest in coming to his senses in what is a pretty straightforward issue. It's about the Constitution of Canada and the structure of the relationship with Canada. And everybody but John Horgan seems to think that he's in the wrong, but he has been defiant on this file. And it's not going to serve the interests of British Columbians. He's backed himself to a political corner and has now got to find a way out. So how does he find a way out? How does he save face? I mean, he's, he doesn't sound like he's going to back off on the, on the court jurisdiction issue. Uh, and as, as, as we might discuss about the consequences of that, it sounds like he's on somewhat fairly legal ground there. Uh, so how does he find a way out, a way to save face uh, and figure out this pipeline to break the impasse in the pipeline? How do you do that? Well, two angles on this. One, first, the technical angle. He really does not have a case before the courts. That's a fiction. Uh, they've been talking about putting a case before the courts for two months, and they haven't done that. Mm. And so he's going off to Ottawa to say, well, let's do it in front of the courts. And the response from the feds is going to be, well, why didn't you get on with it then? And on the more political side of things, our concern as British Columbians is that he's just dressing this up as a dispute so that he can uh, spit in the face of Ottawa and look like a hero to some part of his uh, support base. That's not good for British Columbia. And it's time for John Horgan and the NDP to come to their senses and do what's good for the province. May 31st, hard deadline from Kinder Morgan, they say. Uh, any concerns from you that, I mean, with all the existing court cases, uh, the, of course, the political fur, uh, any concern there that we're just going to blow past this deadline and then we're screwed? And I think that's a real concern in that the Horgan government doesn't have anybody in it with any commercial experience. And so when they see the chill on investment in this country, and you can see it in the national headlines, every media outlet is running this story that Canada is becoming a pretty scary place to do business. And John Horgan doesn't seem to care. That's a real problem for British Columbians. Why not dare him to call an election? Why not say to the Premier, okay, if you are so intent on this pipeline issue, why don't you go to the people with a mandate, Trans Mountain, build it or no? 
Well, I think that's a partial concern here, is that is John Horgan using this purely for his own political purposes so that he can dress himself up as a victim, be pushed into something by the federal government, and then run around and say, gosh, I need a mandate to declare an election. An election to do what? To violate the Constitution of Canada? To pick fights with the neighbours? To compromise the interests of British Columbians? Is that a good thing? And then he wants to run an election on it? So I'm... Uh, pretty dubious there's going to be an election about this. Uh, hopefully, no, cooler no, heads will prevail. No you know, thought on your side just to dangle it out there, even not to just you know, taunt them on it, if nothing else? Well, we're interested in good government in this province, and it's time to get that underway with the NDP in power. We don't have the choice of when there would be an election. We have 42 seats in the legislature. The Greens and the NDP combined have 44. So they win every vote because the NDP uh, get the Greens to vote slavishly for them 100% of the time. So we aren't in a position to call or trigger or ask for an election. It's up to the NDP to sort that out. And they and seem to be intent on picking fights rather than serving the interests of British Columbians. Todd, why don't we get you in on this? Uh, we've heard from the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we've heard from Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian that uh, if the pipeline bites the dust, that this city... Uh, is going to take an economic hit. I assume you're going to concur with that. Well, the the entire province of British Columbia will take a, a financial hit, an economic hit, uh, if this project uh, doesn't doesn't proceed. Uh, it, it's been approved. Uh, it's been the, the National Energy Board, the federal government, have, has approved this project. Uh, it, it does stand to provide very significant uh, econo- <coughs> economic benefits, uh, uh, which are which are all uh, detailed in the in the benefit agreements that are signed with about 51 First Nations uh, all along the pipeline. Not to mention uh, communities like the city of Kamloops. Even TRU has a has a benefit agreement uh, that they've signed uh, that would provide uh, some you know direct uh, financial benefit to the to the university. So uh, it, you know it, it's this now is not the time to, to you know turn one's back um, on on a project of this significance which could provide thousands of jobs and uh, significant economic opportunity for uh, for British Columbians in Kamloops and and right across the province. Peter is this the crux of the issue I mean at the end of the day regardless of how you feel about the pipeline there is a process in order to get natural resource projects any big project built. Uh, it is worth noting as Todd Stone mentioned that this thing has government approvals provincial federal it's gone through the process it's been approved on the regulatory side I mean if that process doesn't work then What's the process? Well, exactly, and that, that is the problem. The Premier is hanging his hat on saying it was a flawed process, but uh, they're actually joining a, a court case to try to prove it was a flawed court uh, process. It, it wasn't. And, um, you know, the, so far 14 of 14 court cases have uh, been successfully uh, defending the process and, and the project itself. It's time to get on with it. Um, you know, the, the fact that, frankly, uh, the, the public opinion is swinging very hard in terms of getting this this pipeline built. The NDP seems stuck in their echo chamber of, of trying to appease the Green Party. Um, it, it really does start to get hard to draw the line between the two parties when they're in the legislature and then they basically talk lockstep every, every day. Um, and so I think that's the key piece to all of this is that, um, you know, in life sometimes uh, things happen that you're not uh, thrilled that happened. I'm sure there was uh, Washington Capitals fans that wished their team won in overtime last night, but they didn't. doesn't mean they get to replay game one. And so, uh, you know, that means that uh, it's time for the NDP to realize there's serious economic consequences to what they're doing, uh, not trying to deflect and not try to blame others. Uh, for once, it would be nice to see the government actually take some responsibility for their own actions and started instead of trying to always blame other people. Did you just out yourself as a Capitals fan? 
No, I was watching uh, Sports Center before I came here. It happened to be the last clip before I left. So, <laughs> Andrew, uh, I had a question posed to me by the Chamber of Commerce, which I thought was really interesting. Joshua Knack, who's the local president, <coughs> asked me. He says he's confused about the government's end game. Uh, do we? He says, you know, mostly in a negotiation, you kind of know what the other side of the table is trying to drive at. They have an end game. He says he's not sure if the province is trying to oppose the pipeline at any cost. He's not sure if they're trying to squeeze some kind of money or assurances out of Ottawa or. Or maybe John Horgan is looking for court definition to get out of the uh, the agreement with the Greens, which clearly says you have to stop the pipeline. Maybe he's going down an avenue where he says, listen, guys, I've tried. Can you get a clear sense of where he's going on this one? Well, take your pick between two uh, unhappy endings here. One is that it's pure politics, that he's trying to dress himself up as British Columbia as victim and that uh, solutions are imposed on us from afar, that Ottawa is high-handed and pushing around the people of British Columbia. That's a complete concocted fiction. And it's designed, I think, to advance his political purposes and not the interests of British Columbia. That's option number one. Option number two is that they are thinking this is part of a grander scheme where they can show that the NDP are actually prepared to stand up to markets, prepared to stand up to business, take control of their corner of the world here in British Columbia, tax people until they're blue in the face, and take a whole kind of ultra-left approach to management British Columbia. That is disastrous for British Columbia. And we've seen that movie before in a, a lesser form under Glenn Clark and under uh, Dave Barrett. But neither of those things serve the regular folks that we deal with every day here at NL Radio, walking down the street in Kamloops. None of this will help anybody in British Columbia because all it's designed to do is advance either a, a very polarizing political agenda of beating up on business and beating up on, on other um, jurisdictions or it's a short-term political trick by John Horgan to advance his personal interests. None of this serves the people of BC, and it's time for John Horgan to come clean on this and to sort out a resolution in Ottawa. There's a reason why we have things in Ottawa on Sunday. This is a federation that's been together for 150 years. British Columbia Joint Confederation, 1871. This may be the biggest kick in the shins to Ottawa in that time period. That's not something to be proud of. That's a failure. What does the Prime Minister do? Well, the Prime Minister is in a tight spot. He probably should have brought this uh, to a higher level a couple of months ago. And whether they've been asleep at the switch is another question that can be answered another day. But uh, we do hope that they bring sufficient pressure on the province of British Columbia. You know, I had that experience in when Gordon Campbell first got elected. I was the Deputy Minister for Intergovernmental Relations. Did that job for two years. And we spent the first year re-establishing the credibility of British Columbia and Ottawa, which had been completely destroyed by Glenn Clark with stupid fights over Nanus Bay, stupid fights over health transfers. We had to go down there and establish that we were grown-ups and it was worth talking to us. And once we'd done that, the feds came to the table in a big way because they wanted to reward good behavior. And that's why the Canada Line is called the Canada Line because they threw in a couple of hundred million extra dollars to build a $2 billion rapid transit line in Vancouver that serves 200,000 people a day. That's how to work with Ottawa, not by kicking them in the shins.
It's no secret that here in Kamloops, the interior of the north, there's a different view of these projects than there is in the lower mainland. Uh, kind of goes back in that sort of rural-urban divide. How do you deal with that? I mean, people up here, uh, all along the pipeline route, First Nations, with the exception of perhaps the Coldwater Indian Band and Merritt, are on board with the Trans Mountain Pipeline. People here are, by and large, in favor of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. People in the lower mainland are lining up to get arrested to oppose the Trans Mountain Pipeline. How do you deal with that? Well, let's be clear. There are about 2.5 million people in Metro Vancouver, and about 3,000 of them are involved in these protests. There was a straw poll in my riding in Vancouver uh, a year ago, what what people thought about the pipeline, and in the room that day, 90% were in favor of Kinder Morgan proceeding. So what we see is an attempt by the Horgan government to mobilize beyond their radical uh, supporters to bring on the green supporters and to try and uh, co-opt some people who are perhaps sitting in the middle to come on their side by picking a fight with Ottawa. And as I said earlier, that's a really fast track to a long, bad story with Ottawa. The federal government has an intrinsic role in British Columbia, whether it's the marine environment, whether it's the railways that we look out across here, both CN and CP, aviation, broadcasting, those are exclusive federal jurisdictions, just like interprovincial pipelines are exclusively federal jurisdiction. And the feds can do an awful lot of things in terms of transfer payments, in terms of cooperation on new things like infrastructure programs. If they decide not to answer the phone, it hurts real fast. Yeah. Uh, Todd, uh, a lot of speculation here that the Prime Minister could say, listen, we're going we're gonna to pull back on some of our transfer payments, social and health. I think it's about $6.9 billion this fiscal year we expect to come from Ottawa. Uh, and the NDP budget uh, has, what, 200 and, um, 235 uh, surplus, somewhere in there? Uh, they could, with I think about 3 or 4 5% of slowing down those transfer payments. That's, that's some pretty serious financial pain provincially here. Well, uh, and, and again, to Andrew's point, uh, this is this is where this NDP fiasco uh, is uh, is potentially very, very damaging for for British Columbians. It is not in British Columbians' interests uh, to uh, have the federal government even considering a scaling back uh, investment uh, in this province, whether it's through uh, infrastructure uh, grants or whether it's through uh, uh, the, 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 the tra- transfer payments that are made uh, for healthcare, education, and other critical services. None of that is in, is in anyone's interests uh, here in British Columbia. So this is a very, very dangerous game that John Horgan and the NDP are playing. Uh, we haven't seen uh, the relationship between our province and the country uh, at such a low in, uh, frankly, a generation. Uh, and it's it's completely and in, in, uh, in totally unnecessary, and it's unacceptable. And 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 the action he's taking has been deemed to be unlawful as well. Uh, you know, the, these court cases, 14 of 14, have, have ruled against uh, folks opposed to the projects. Uh, you know, any further reference, everyone knows what the result's going to be. Uh, so why are we... Uh, why is the government of British Columbia, this NDP government, intentionally uh, you know, poking and prodding uh, the the, uh, the federal government, uh, which will only serve to have very negative repercussions for British Columbians? Uh, it's wrong. says it's not unlawful. They're acting within the law, within the Constitution. Let's be clear. Last August, August 29th, a federal court of appeal judge ruled that all the constitutional questions that British Columbia wanted to raise in that lawsuit, which is the one John Horgan keeps talking about, were off the table. That's the ruling. They're done in that lawsuit. They keep talking about bringing on a new lawsuit, a reference case. They've been talking about it for months. Nothing has happened. Uh, 
We asked them to debate the potential reference question in the House. They refused. David Eby's never actually practiced law. So let's be careful about taking David Eby's legal opinions on these things when they're reluctant to take it to a courtroom, when they've had rulings against them by the Federal Court of Appeal, where 14 out of 14 times this uh, project has been ruled to be entirely legitimate. So I'm really concerned that we keep taking these tidbits from David Eby and John Horgan as having any credibility. They don't. Let's focus on reality, and they're going to have to do that on Sunday in Ottawa, and hopefully the feds will give them a cold shower and tell them it's time to be Canadian. Pete, uh, no secret here that uh, if the trans, let's assume the Trans Mountain Pipeline bites the dust, it's not going to mean that any less bitumen, any less oil, any less gas is going to flow out of Alberta. That stuff still has to go to market. Uh, it's going to flow by truck or it's going to flow by rail, and that has its own inherent risks, correct? Well, it absolutely does. Uh, we saw a fuel uh, truck uh, on the border of uh, BC and the Yukon the other day uh, flip. It spilled 4,500 litres of, of fuel right next to the Liard River. Uh, trains do derail. We saw a, a large spike of mainline derailments in, in British Columbia in 2016. And, and that's the reality here. That's really the crux of all of this. How do you move a product to market the safest way possible? And when you're talking about oil, when you're talking about bitumen, a pipeline is by far and away recognized as the safest way to do that. It's also the only commodity that you can move by pipe, pipeline. So why would you clog up your rail lines with uh, a product that could be in a pipeline. We're seeing softwood uh, having trouble get to market because of access to rail lines. We're seeing grain from the prairies having trouble getting to market because of access to rail lines. Uh, it is expanding on pipelines or on rail lines. Um, when you look at uh, CN, they're spending $250 million this spring in Western Canada to expand capacity on their rail lines. They're expanding capacity because they need uh, to fill contracts to move oil. And so it is going to move to market, whether John Horgan likes it or not. Uh, both uh, Minister Heyman and, and the Premier have been very clear, and Minister Trevena, all three, that they do not regulate um, volumes of products, of any product, going on a, a federally uh, rail line. Uh, they don't get to regulate volumes in pipelines either. And so uh, they seem to actually be um, trying to create a scenario where they're actually forcing a commodity to be uh, transported on the least safe way possible for that particular commodity. I don't see how that saves the environment. I don't see how that makes people safer. It certainly slows down our economy because it starts to hit all sorts of things from lumber to grain to all other sorts of products trying to either get to market in uh, Eastern Canada or trying to get out to the world market uh, through our ports. Uh, last question, a different topic for you, Andrew. We're going to see next week uh, this anti-money laundering report on casinos. Uh, it caught my ear, David Eby, telling us uh, earlier on here at NL this week that uh, Peter German is, in fact, not unemployed. He's going to move on and do a phase two uh, looking at money laundering in housing, which has some interesting implications. Uh, first, on the casino side, what are you expecting out of this report? And second, uh, on the housing market side, uh, what do you expect there? Well, Peter German's a capable person with the right qualifications. The concern I have is that David Eby has a long track record of overplaying his cards. And the classic one on this money laundering file is to say, oh, there's stuff going on. We can't tell you in the details because it's all subject to investigation. Those investigations, that investigatory ability was set up by the BC Liberals about five years ago. It's in the hands of the police. They do what they do with the federal government and its role in uh, tracking through FinTrack with the movement of large amounts of money. 
And so Mr. Eby will run up the flagpole that terrible things are happening, but there's no evidence. And he can't tell you what the evidence is because it's all secret and has to be uh, the subject of police investigations. So we'll expect a fair amount of noise from David Eby. That report was supposed to come out this week, and they obviously decided not to do it. Why? Political reasons. Because they're in the glue on Kinder Morgan. You don't think the casino report on money laundering is going to hold water? We'll see what it has to say, because unless they get into specific details of specific charges and specific matters before the court, a lot of it's just speculation based on things that they're not prepared to tell us. And now let's get uh, a couple of things straight just before we go. We have two great MLAs sitting here with me, Peter Millibar, who's uh, on the uh, environment critic role and has been holding uh, the environment minister's feet to the fire on this matter for days now and does an exemplary Todd Stone expertise from being transportation minister to this file uh, with his knowledge about the rail industry and about the trucking business. And the two of them have done a stellar job in holding the uh, government's feet to the fire in Kinder Morgan. And they also, of course, know what Kinder Morgan's about because, like me, having grown up in Kamloops, they've seen the Trans Mountain Pipeline function here flawlessly for their entire lifetime. And that's where we are and that's where we need to go. Who's the most Kamloops MLA? You told me you were going to get that sorted out. Oh, well, I made that pretty clear that I was the kid who was here with a one-speed bike and no air conditioning, so I'm the real Mr. Kamloops. Todd, what's your pitch? Dangerous well, ground, Todd. Yeah, yeah. Dangerous ground. Yeah, so what year was uh, Kamloops Incorporated, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> Just before the Red Raider Bill. <laughs> that's about the time you settled here? <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you all so much for coming in. Appreciate it. It's always good to have people in the studio. Always good to talk to the three of you. Thanks very much, Jim. Thank you. There you go. BC Liberals leader Andrew Wilkinson, Todd Stone, and Peter Millibar. We'll take a quick break in NL. On the other side, the panel returns. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director, Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Pleasure to be joined by the panel, Keith Paul, Drevon Palmer, and Shannon Waters. Guys, welcome. Good morning. A uh, long time since I've talked to you, so it's really good to hear your voices. Um, let's start off right off the bat here with uh, this meeting in Ottawa on Sunday. Uh, I'm sure all of you were at the John Horgan press conference as you tried to pry out of him what exactly he might go into that meeting and say or do. Uh, Keith, why don't we start with you? Uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't read any kind of a backing down kind of signaling from Mr. Horgan. Uh, your thoughts? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I don't think Horgan's going to move an inch from his position. That His position is, look, all we want to do is send this to, uh, to court for a, 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 in a reference case. So he's not going to move. I think the only party that has any possibility of compromise here, and I don't think it's going to happen, is the federal government uh, in terms of whether they would join B.C. and Alberta and sort of expedite the reference uh, case to court. But Bill Morneau has already ruled that out, saying they're not saying no, we're not going to do that, probably because they don't want to expose uh, themselves to a court overruling their jurisdictional authority. So I think all sides are entrenched. Uh, I don't think anything's going to really fundamentally change. Uh, Horgan signaled one thing when we were talking to him about um, he doesn't think there's enough on the table right now from the feds when it comes to a spill response strategy. And I think that's the core of his reference case is, is the regulations regarding um, what comes out of that pipeline and how to deal with it. And But again, even if Trudeau doubles what they've got on the table for spill response, Horgan's not going to suddenly cave and say, oh yeah, sure, build the pipeline. So no, it's, I think it's going to be it's nice to get in the same room as Winston Churchill used to say, it's better to jaw-jaw than war-war, but uh, I don't see a lot of change coming on Sunday. All right, well, that raises the question then, Vaughn. I mean, with this May 31st deadline, if Mr. Horgan is digging in his heels uh, and the Prime Minister is certainly unhappy, I mean, what happens? Well, where do we go from here? 
Well, I don't think you'd know it from some of the premier's supporters and some of his critics, but the New Democrats have already backed down. And they backed down one heck of a lot. Their election promise was to do everything in their power to stop this project. And they admitted in the House this week that they can't stop it. It would be unlawful to try to stop it. Mm -hmm. So all they are doing is saying, we think we have some power to regulate this project, not to stop it, but maybe to tweak the regulations. And they're going to ask a court to do that. Uh, The obvious entry there, Shane, is for the federal government to say, fine, we don't think you've got much of a case, but we'll expedite that case. We'll put that straight to the Supreme Court of Canada, and in return, you agree to abide by the outcome, and that's the end of it. That doesn't deal with the May 31st deadline, but the federal government and Alberta are already looking at ways to deal with that. They're talking about either indemnifying the the company, Kinder Morgan, against the risk of further delay, or taking a piece of the pipeline or building the pipeline themselves. All of those things can happen with or without the BC reference case. But in my view, there is room for a compromise on this. They could announce something on uh, Sunday that would put an end to this. Uh, I don't think it's a constitutional crisis yet, but would put an end to this. Um, And in my view, they should take it. Shannon, the agreement with the Greens uh, clearly states that uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline has to be stopped. Is is the Premier between a rock and a hard place in this thing, or no? Well, that's something else interesting that's come up in the estimates around the environment debate, where um, Environment Minister George Heyman has kind of distanced the government from agreements signed and things said mm-hmm. before they actually formed government. And weirdly enough, that includes the CASA agreement, because that was signed at the end of May. So, in a way, it does sound like they're trying to give themselves some wiggle room. The Greens haven't really done a whole lot about this yet. When the Liberals were piling on to the government about what had been said in estimates during question period, the Greens chose instead to talk about royalties around natural gas. Um, And Andrew Weaver has said on social media that, you know, he doesn't see it as a major departure. Um, But in some ways, I think it certainly has to look like, yes, the government is, is backing away from that commitment and is instead going to talk about regulation and provincial jurisdiction rather than stopping the project from going ahead. Mm. Uh, Keith, we have yet to see a question, a reference question to even go to court. Uh, Heyman says it's coming soon, but uh, soon in the context of that May 31st deadline seems a a little interesting. Uh, Any indication from the province exactly how they're going to challenge this thing? Well, David Eby uh, told us uh, this week they've got a couple of options, uh, and one of them would be putting a a series of regulations in front of a court and saying, what do you think of this? Uh, And the court could conceivably, you know, either cherry-pick and say, oh, yeah, that one's okay, that one's okay, no, this one doesn't work, this one doesn't work. So that's one of the options he's studying, which is interesting, that uh, if they actually word the regulations and put them in front of a judge, uh, that might finally provide some clarity. But, I, you know, all along, I think a number of us have thought the NDP government was basically, one of the strategies was to rag the puck and just delay, 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 Mm. and hope that Kinder Morgan would walk away, you know, know, tire them out to exhaust them. What Kinder Morgan's done, the thing that's changed everything is Kinder Morgan suddenly establishing this May 31st deadline, 
which is an artificial deadline. I mean, they've not explained why it's May 31st and not September 1st, but they want they want uh, certainty for their shareholders. And that's why everybody's basically in a panic mode right now. I mean, I don't think any level of government is necessarily on their game right now. They're all somewhat freaking out. Uh, Notley needs that pipeline built. Trudeau needs that type pipeline built. Horgan has to show that he's opposed to it, even though he's not really opposed to it necessarily. Uh, so this artificial timeline is throwing everybody off kilter, and which is why I don't think anybody's really got a coherent strategy here. Yeah. Vaughn, there's existing court cases that are going to blow past that May 31st deadline. I mean, I'm assuming that Kinder Morgan is going to move on that at some point in time, and maybe the mission all along has been to create the, the frenzy that we're seeing right now. Your thoughts on that? Well, you're quite right. There is there is one huge unanswered question here, and you refer to the existing court case. So last fall, the Federal Court of Appeal heard a challenge to the entire approval of this project, a case that if the, the people who put it together, and that includes environmental groups and First Nations and the B.C. government, if that case... Uh, if they win that case, uh, it could be back to square one on this project. If the Federal Court of Appeal even, you know, hedges on some aspects of the approval, uh, this thing would be thrown into abeyance. Um, and nobody knows when that court decision is coming down. I've heard some concern that it has taken the Federal Court so long that some of the politicians are worried that the court is divided on this issue. And it wouldn't be the first time that a court in this country went, why are we being asked to solve a political problem here? So that's, I mean, that's a huge if, and that's out there. And I mean, that's beyond the power of the federal government, the provincial government, the Alberta government, or Kinder Morgan to hurry up that decision, and nobody knows what it'll be. Uh, Shannon, last word to you on this segment. We're going to really sink our teeth into the transatlantic issue on the other side as well. But uh, to you, I mean, we've already talked a little bit about how John Horgan seems to show some flexibility uh, if there's some more money, perhaps, on the ocean protection side. Do you think that that in and of itself is enough for him to save face and say, okay, uh, we're going to alter our position here, or, or no? I, I don't think it'll be enough. I do think that he seems to be opening up the door there. He hasn't really said much about um, this bill response plan and the need for more funding up until yesterday. He certainly had a lot of rhetoric around the pipeline, you know, protecting BC's interests, protecting the coast, which can be seen as related in a way to the plan. But I just think based on the amount of opposition um, that the NDP has shown, both while campaigning and in government on this issue, that if he just sort of accedes to the federal government saying, we'll put up more money for spill response if you take this pipeline, I don't think it's going to be enough. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. Get the news to the bottom of the hour. We'll pick it up on the Trans Mountain issue with Keith Baldry, Von Palmer, uh, Von Palmer, and Shannon Waters. Right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local first for Camrose Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Good morning. Welcome. We're talking to Vaughn Palmer, Keith Baldry, and Shannon Waters. Uh, a year ago, about this time, guys, John Horgan announced he had a toolbox to stop the Trans Mountain Pipeline when pressed. One of the issues he came up with was provincial permitting, something e. David Eby then ruled out on this station uh, shortly thereafter. So it was interesting this week to hear John Horgan, the legislature, say, hey, hey, whoa, 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 we're issuing provincial permits as they come in. We're not holding up the pipeline, yada, yada, yada. Sign of this shifting words that they're on. Uh, Vaughn, you summed it up nicely in your column this week but there's been a real shift in how they're discussing and referring to the pipeline pre-election and in government. 
Yeah, there's been a huge shift, and it was only this week that we got the full story on it. You're quite right. During the election, the New Democrats said they would do everything in their power to stop the pipeline. And they made that as part of their agreement with the Greens as well. But within days of them taking office last year, David Eby on your show said that the province could not hold up permitting, uh, just harass permitting. They had to. They had a legal obligation to process the permits. Well, this week in the House, on Monday afternoon, George Heyman, the environment minister, told the whole story. He said that the day he, Heyman, accepted his appointment to cabinet, the premier told him that the government already had, the new government had a legal opinion saying it would be unlawful to try to stop the pipeline. And moreover, the government shouldn't even talk about stopping the pipeline anymore because it would leave itself wide open to lawsuits from Kinder Morgan for... Uh, failing to manage the project in good faith. It's been a dead letter since then, and EB certainly hinted at the reason for it, or indicated one reason for it last summer, but uh, we now know the whole story. The New Democrats have known since the first day they took office that they could not stop this project, that it would be unlawful, and in fact, Horgan asked Heyman in taking the job to stop talking about that. They switched the language to much more vague, we're going to defend the coast of British Columbia, they stopped talking about stopping Kinder Morgan. And George Heyman really scrambling uh, both in QP and in estimates this week, Keith, to kind of walk that fine line. Oh yeah, he's, he's trying to walk it. I don't think he's been terribly successful at it, but you know, language counts for a lot in this whole thing, and it's, it's subtle changes and nuances, and you know, in retrospect, we should have picked up on when, when Evie announced that uh, the permits were, were just a no-go zone, uh, that naturally you would think, well, that must extend a little further than that, and it, again, the, the startling revelation from, from Heyman that they were told on the very first day that uh, they could not block the pipeline, um, it, it masked their rhetoric for the last year, but it's, it's interesting how the language has shifted. Horgan yesterday again shifted from talking about blocking the pipeline that 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 language is gone what's replaced that now is uh protecting our coastline and that's the that's the new buzzwords from the ndp government it's protecting our coastline it's not blocking the pipeline it's protecting our coastline and that's why the emphasis and uh and priority for the horgan government going forward is all about um, spill response. It's almost like they've taken as a fait accompli that there will be a pipeline. And their interest now is what happens to the product once it leaves the pipeline. And that's what's going to be the basis of their court reference. So then the question uh, to you, Shannon, is uh, we do have the existing cases on the First Nations front challenging the pipeline. Uh, we have this jurisdiction issue potentially going to court. Uh, and then the provincial government sort of hanging their hat on a flawed NEB process. Outside of that, uh, it seems like that's really where uh, the stopping the pipeline Thing could possibly come from, if at all. Is there anything outside of that to your to your knowledge? Um, I mean, aside from Kinder Morgan actually deciding to hold on to that May thirty first drop dead date and walk away from it, um, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think so. I, the thing that I find interesting is the First Nations issue hasn't been talked about a whole lot. It's not something that um, either government or either the federal government or the BC government are really discussing. And actually, um, 
Perry Belgard with um, the association, uh, the National Association of First Nations has said, you know, we're being left out of this discussion and basically called on the federal government to engage more with First Nations on that front. So you would think if the province was sort of hoping that the pipeline is going to be stopped and that First Nations maybe have the best standing to do that, that they would maybe be calling that issue up a little more. So far, though, they haven't done that. But even that issue is not clearly cut and dried. As I mentioned oh, on this show not. in the past, uh, I mean, along this route here in Kamloops, uh, literally every single First Nations I can think of, with the exception of uh, Coldwater Indian Band near Merritt, are for the pipeline. Uh, I know that's, exactly. not, that's not necessarily true in the Lower Mainland. So, uh, Keith, I mean, the First Nations issue is, is by far not a, a for or against cut and dried issue. Oh, it's far from cut and dry. There's more than 40 First Nations that support the Kindermorgan Pipeline, but there are a number of First Nations, particularly as you get closer to the terminal in Metro Vancouver, who are ardently opposed to uh, to the project. So there's not a there's not a monolithic attitude from First Nations towards this project. There's a lot of opposition, but there's a lot of support, and that's that further complicates the the matter. And it's interesting, and Shannon's right. It's interesting that that neither Horgan, Notley, or Trudeau have even, even talked about First Nations in this, in this uh, you know, uh, flourishes of rhetoric from all three of them as they sort of attack or critique each other. First Nations just hasn't been mentioned. It's interesting, um, on Twitter I've been noticing there's some pushback from First Nations saying, well, w- wait a minute, we're part of this conversation. And other First Nations, like Ernie Cray, who's the former leader of the Solo in, in Chilliwack, is on, on there on social media saying, wait a minute, there's a lot of support for this project as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very unclear situation, uh, and it further muddies muddy the waters, but it certainly makes it um, less certain about where this thing is all headed because, as Shannon says, the First Nations might have the best chance of actually blocking this if they get into court because it's a relatively new, fertile ground of jurisprudence that's ever-evolving, and it's, uh, it'll be interesting where the, how the courts frame their decision when, it, when First Nations are factored in. Uh, Vaughn, earlier this week on Radio NL, David Eby was saying he wanted to, uh, you know, address some rumors, uh, get things straight, and that was that his government is acting within the law, they're acting within the Constitution, and yes, the provincial government has jurisdiction over the pipeline. The question they want answers from the court on are to what extent. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, look, you've got a right in this country to go to court, and a government has the right to go to court and ask a court a question. I, I, you know, they have the right to produce regulations and test them in court. They're not. They did talk for a little while, and you may remember this, and it caused a big fuss about being able to stop the flow of increased flow of bitumen through the province. That's what led to the wine boycott. The province backed away from that threat and said, we'll get it clarified in court, and Alberta dropped the wine boycott. So ever since then, the province has been within the realm of operating. We're asking questions to the court. That's why I think, you know, the federal government has an opportunity here. They only Ottawa can expedite a court reference. The, the only entity in the country that has a power to go directly to the Supreme Court of Canada is the federal government. So... You know, the feds could say to the province, Shane, let's see your regulations. You've got a few weeks to produce them, and we'll send them straight to the Supreme Court of Canada. But in return, you, British Columbia, have to agree that that's the end of it. You will abide by whatever the court says. Ottawa is very sure that nothing will come out of the court that would allow the province to do more than regulate. 
The province would not get the power to wreck the economics of the project or stop it. So I don't see a hell of a lot of political risk here for the federal government, and it strikes me that it would be a good way for them to get Horgan on side um, to not supporting the project, but at least agreeing the thing as an end to it. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, uh, Kinder Morgan, of course, issuing the press release on Sunday. We've seen just a crazy amount of activity and headlines since then. Federal government's acting on this. Uh, the war of words between Rachel Notley, John Horgan. Business community is united to push for the pipeline. Justin Trudeau's cut short his Peru trip to come home and have this meeting on Sunday to kind of hammer this thing out. Uh, if you're the pipeline company and this is a strategic decision to spur some action, is it mission accomplished? Well, they're definitely seeing some action. I mean, Notley and uh, and Horgan are headed to Ottawa on Sunday. Trudeau, as you mentioned, is coming back from an international trip to uh, mediate between the two of them. I mean, they, they are certainly getting movement. The question is how seriously they're taking that May 31st deadline because... You know, we don't know what's going to come out of the meeting on Sunday yet. Um, they could come out and, you know, have come to some kind of agreement having brought BC on side. Rachel Notley has hinted that after her meeting with Bill Morneau, she's confident that the federal government is going to take some kind of concrete action to bring BC to heel, but she hasn't said what that is. Mm. Um, but May 31st is not that far away. So, you know, unless D.C. actually does sort of decide that it's going to to change its stance in a certain way on the project, um, I don't know that there's a lot that the feds could do or Alberta could do to kind of maneuver around D.C. in time for that May 31st deadline. So, yes, I think they're getting some movement. They're certainly getting a lot of discussion about the project and, and the state that it's in and the delays that it's seen, the opposition that it's seen. Um, but I don't know if they're going to get that final sort of, yes, we get to go ahead and the investment climate is is certain, as they've said they want to see. Uh, last word to you, Keith, before we head to the next segment. Well, I think Kinder Morgan is chortling right now that uh, they've got they've got everybody warring with each, each other. And more importantly, you've got Ottawa and Alberta both talking openly about potentially investing themselves in the pipeline yeah. or indemnifying Kinder Morgan. So Kinder Morgan has bought itself potentially a lot of fiscal protection here, uh, even though the uncertainty remains. But I'm no more confident that, that May 31st is going to come and go and we're going to see a fundamental change uh, from any of them. Rachel Notley will pass that law uh, in the coming weeks that will allow it to, to uh, decrease oil shipments to B.C. But talking to Notley's office this week, they, they insist to me that that doesn't mean they're going to do that right away. They're going to put that, that in their that sort of uh, arrow in their quiver and hold it in reserve and fire it when necessary. But that may still be weeks or months away. But that May 31st deadline, as I said earlier, has changed everything. Everything was sort of meandering along. The wine war was over. Everything we had protests and arrests, but suddenly that that uh, drop dead date has caused all three parties to focus uh, on issues that some, suddenly have become crystallized. All right, let's take a quick break in Inside Politics. We'll be back clean up uh, with Keith Vaughn and Shannon right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local first. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. 
Good morning. Welcome back. We're talking to Shannon Waters, Keith Baldry, and Vaughn Palmer. Uh, guys, one of the things that kind of slid under the radar due to Trans Mountain is the uh, casino money laundering review being handed in by Peter German. Uh, David Eby going over that. I assume, I think we're going to get uh, something official this week as far as a public unveiling. 250 pages, what, some 48 recommendations. Uh, Shannon, what are we expecting out of this thing? Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we've already had a few recommendations uh, come out already limiting the amount of undeclared money that uh, VIP gamblers can take into these casinos and tweaking some of the reporting. Evie actually met a, made a presentation in Ottawa at the end of last month um, talking about the concerns that BC has and some of the issues that this review has run into. He didn't give a lot away. Um, to the Federal Finance Committee, but he did basically talk about the fact that right now the regulations around reporting these suspicious transactions in casinos um, are focusing on the reporting side of things, just kind of recording names, and there's not a lot of action. So I think that one of the tacks certainly that we're likely to see is more enforcement, more teeth in the laws as they currently stand. One of the things that EB basically said to the committee is that um, we're really good at kind of tracking a lot of these um, these transactions, but we don't follow up when it looks like people are probably quite blatantly laundering money through BC Casino. So it'll be interesting to see. EB's playing his cards very close to his chest. We've asked him a couple of times this week, you know, when we're going to see the report, what it's going to contain, and he's basically just saying, we're doing our due diligence, we're making sure that releasing this review is not going to compromise either existing criminal investigation that are going on on the issue or release uh, individuals' information that shouldn't be out in the public. So it, it's going to be interesting, certainly a very significant um, probably piece of legislation coming out of it at some point, although I think we likely aren't going to see that until the fall now. Yeah. Uh, Vaughn, numbers I'm hearing, uh, even from the government itself, uh, potentially this review and its consequences could result in a 60, 70, maybe $80 million loss uh, annually to BCLC, which of course uh, reflects directly on the government's books. Uh, so there will be a financial consequence, one thinks. Yes, and the interesting thing is whether there will be any consequences uh, for the BC Lottery Corporation, which is, uh, I recall, is uh, home-based in Kamloops. And the reason I, I make that point is that we already know quite a bit from what EB has said about the problem with the casinos, and we've been led to think the casinos are cleaning up their act already. So there will be stuff done there, but they're already moving on that. And we also know about his concerns with the federal regulators because he's been down to Ottawa, as you noted, to tell them that. We haven't heard nearly as much about whether or not the lottery corporation fell down in dealing with this problem. I don't know that it did, but it's sort of a gap in the reporting. And there are some rumblings uh, that there will be some... Uh consequences, changes uh, affecting the Lottery Corporation as a result of this report, that it may have some critical comments to make on that. We'll see. That may also, Shane, be the reason why the minister, as Shannon notes, is being careful what he says, because they haven't figured out what to do about that yet. Uh, last word to you, Keith, because uh, one of another interesting aspect of this is that Peter German is, is not unemployed. Uh, David Ebis is, is keeping him on the, the payroll, and he's going to turn his attention to what he's calling Phase 2 of of this anti-money laundering review, uh, and that's in the housing market, which is an interesting aspect. I think that's actually going to be more interesting than casinos. You know, FinTrack, which is the federal regulatory agency that tracks this stuff, uh, 
really uh, attributes to casinos in terms of the uh, questionable transactions a rather low percentage of the overall total. So Peter German sort of um, hinted in his first uh, his, his news release a couple of weeks ago that said there has to be more effort to to trace uh, large financial transactions. For example, at for automobiles, somebody paying a hundred thousand dollars cash for automobile for high end automobiles. Uh, so that's a tip off that he's going far and wide far beyond just casinos. It's the real estate industry, the luxury car industry, any other uh, items where people pay large volumes of cash is what he's he's starting to zero in on. So this is casinos. I, I think are going to be left behind in the overall scheme of things. This is going to be start tracking uh, cash payments for million dollar houses, and that's where German I think is headed. And I think that's actually more fascinating than what he's going to find in casinos. Because as Vaughn knows, I think casinos have basically started to clean up their act and have for 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 some time now. But the real estate industry and the luxury car industry, uh, that's, again, brand new territory, uncharted waters, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, phase two, I think, is going to be more interesting than phase one. Yeah, I totally concur. Uh, Keith, Vaughn, Shannon, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care next week. Bye-bye. There we go. Never a dull moment in BC politics. Always a pleasure to hear from the three of them. Uh, and that's it for today's edition of Inside Politics on Radio NL. My thanks to Andrew Wilkinson, Todd Stone, Peter Millibar, Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Shannon Waters. We'll see you again on Radio NL next Friday. Local. First. CHNL. AM 610 in Kamloops. RadioNL.com. The Valley's first choice for local news.